0: From APM, this is Educate, a podcast from APM reports about ideas and research on how we teach and learn. I'm Stephen Smith. This week, we're featuring a podcast episode from July 2015. It's called Talking About Race in Schools. In 1998, the American Anthropological Association published a statement on race. It concluded that race is a social idea, not a biological fact. In other words, physical differences between the races are largely a myth. The anthropologists wanted to bring this message to the public, so they created a museum exhibit called Race, Are We So Different? The exhibit is touring the country, and it brings up some difficult questions, especially if you are a parent or a teacher. But Yolanda Moses wanted to go even further. She was the president of the AAA from 1995 to 1997, and she wondered, how do we get Americans to talk to their kids about race and identity? So she and some colleagues created a teaching guide for middle and high school teachers based on the museum exhibit. Now they're in the process of helping schools use the teaching guide. Moses is a professor of anthropology at the University of California, Riverside, and she joins me on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here.
0: How do schools normally teach students about race and what is not normally included?
1: Okay. Well, a lot of it has to do with what the teachers know, uh, which is what we're finding from the exhibit and the materials. We find that teachers of uh, history and social studies tend to teach about the social construction of race. On the biological side, the biologists teach about human variation and that there's no such thing as races, as it's been depicted in our science past, but they don't necessarily make the connection across the interdisciplinary divide, and that's what this project does. It helps both the social sciences, uh, humanities teachers, and the biology teachers teach this in a way that students understand it holistically.
0: Well, tell us more about the guide. What kinds of lessons does it include and and where does the curricula come
1: from? There was a national group of, made up of representatives from 17 different disciplinary associations from the biological sciences to the humanities and the social sciences that all got together around this project and said... If we were to talk to the public, and in this case, we were talking about young people, what is it that we would tell them to help them understand better what race is and why it's so difficult in some cases for us to move away from it, to have what is called a racial-free society or colorblind society? And we divided it up, the teacher guides, into three parts. And the first part is on the racist biology, the fallacy of racist biology. The second part is about culture and how culture and how our everyday lives, we create this notion of race. And then part three is how race is lived in society, how, because we believe it, it affects the way we live our life every day. And in order to change it, we have to understand how all those three things work together. So that's the premise of the guides. We geared them toward from ninth grade to high school. We also had a middle school version, and we have a version for parents to talk to their kids. And all three of those versions are free online at our website.
0: Can you give us an example of a specific lesson that is in the guide, aside from you know, the larger picture issue of race being socially constructed rather than biological?
1: The idea of the academic uh, achievement gap for example. That is an issue that is rife all across the U.S. And so what we do in this exercise is to have students talk about things that happen in their schools, like we have an activity that we call unequal resources. And what it does is it sets up students to be able to understand what people do to protect what theirs, and what happens when people work together. To also identify what inequalities of resources exist in their schools and their communities, and then to help them identify what they can do about negative conditions in their own schools, in their own communities. So the students are divided into different groups. They're given different co- colors of paper. The instructor sets the rules And certain groups have certain resources and not others. And then in this environment, they're supposed to do problem solving. And what they quickly find out is that even though these different groups may have the best of intentions because of lack of resources and lack of access to resources, there's no way that they're going to be able to achieve the goals that have been set for them.
0: So in that classroom session, essentially, you're building the uneven playing field.
1: That's exactly right. And showing how it is invisible sometimes and how structurally students can't see it and then how other people respond to them because they're not able to achieve the instructions that have been given to them, even though they're trying hard, so that they can understand things like the wealth gap and distribution of unequal resources and and how you don't have access to those resources, even if you want them, and how that's often invisible.
0: Can you tell us a story about a teacher using the race Guide and, and what sort of surprises you may have had or learned in the in the use of the guide?
1: Well, one of the things that has happened with two places in St. Paul when we brought teachers together to talk about what happened as a result of them using the materials in their classes. They said to me that the students don't have enough time to talk about these issues. That is, we we raise the issues, but there's not enough time for the students to explore where this takes them. But the problem with more time is that most of them are tied to teaching the national standards, the state standards, and if in those standards there's not time for those side conversations, those discussions, they said that's what their students really wanted to have more of that they did not have. But the second thing is that the teachers felt they needed more training around how to not just present the materials, but to help facilitate those conversations. And those are not necessarily the things they learned in their teacher training programs in the universities out of which they came as teachers.
0: Do teachers regard this as a, as a tricky or threatening subject, if you will, to try and bring up in the classroom? I mean, it's hard enough for Americans to talk about race sort of writ large, and I would assume that it could be kind of a, I don't know, a, a daunting thing to try and bring up in class.
1: Yes and no. They want the tools to do it because whether they bring it up or not, it is like the 2,000 pound elephant that sits on the table. So it's do we talk about it or don't talk about it? Because if we look at what's happening in high schools around the U.S., there's issues around, you know, assemblies, around racialized conflicts on campus around interracial dating. I mean, these are real things that happen every single day. And there are flashpoints both in the classroom and outside of the classroom. So the teachers say they want to be able to deal with these issues. They don't want to pretend they don't exist because they do. And you can't just say, oh, can't we all just get along? It's not about that. It's about understanding and negotiating differences to look for common ground. That's what they want. And actually, I should say to you, when we first made the proposal to Um, some of the people at the National Science Foundation or even some of our own colleagues from from the organizations, from our national committee, the question was, is this too complicated for young people to deal with? And then the social psychologists and, you know, the anthropologists that study early childhood development say, but they are already understanding it at age four. And if we're not giving them the tools to understand why people look different and why people are treated differently in our society because they look different, then there's all kinds of things, uh, internalization that starts to take place with those kids at age four. And we might as well address it head on versus ignoring it.
0: Do you encourage teachers to discuss current events such as the events, the protests in Ferguson and Baltimore uh, as they talk to kids about race?
1: Sure. Sure. Because many of the social studies courses are about current events. So, and many of the teachers use newspapers to help teach contemporary history or writing or literature. So, yes, it's the kind of thing that we see in the media and popular culture. We don't have to create situations to talk about, which is why young people according to a uh, study that Judy Woodruff did, want to talk about these issues, but they don't have the tools necessarily. So part of what we were trying to do with this project is to give that generation of young people tools to talk about difficult conversations that their parents at home can't talk about or won't talk about or choose not to talk about.
0: Have you had any resistance from parents to the introduction of this uh, curriculum in the schools?
1: No, I have not. That's part of, of what we uh, want to circle back and do, because when we first did this project, we just assumed that you know, there would be some, some positive benefit from it. But what we're finding anecdotally, these materials have been used in um, at least you know, 50 different places with school groups around the United States. What we want to do now is to go back and collect that data,
0: Do you have data on how this uh, program has changed the opinions of students about race?
1: Some, but it's only from a few places. So we would consider it to be anecdotal. And from, again, the places where we did have the evaluations were St. Paul, Minnesota, were in Washington, D.C., and in Kalamazoo, Michigan, because we only had funds to (laughs) to do uh, analysis in those places.
0: So in this anecdotal information, what did students say about whether or not their uh, attitudes changed and in what ways?
1: What they said is that they learned a lot of things they did not know. Many of the students, they understood biology and they understood about no, no such thing as human races. But the biology teacher didn't talk to them about how race science contributed to the perpetuation of this notion or understanding that races were different well into the 20th century. Those were not the kind of conversations that they had in the biology department, and the students wanted to know why. So there was a, a level of questions that the students were asking that they hadn't asked before both on the social science and humanities side as well as on the, on the biology side.
0: Yolanda Moses, thank you so much.
1: Oh, are we done? <laughs> okay, I'm glad I could be helpful.
0: Yolanda Moses is Professor of Anthropology at the University of California, Riverside, and past president of the American Anthropological Association. You can find a link to the Race, Are We So Different exhibit at apmreports.org. While you're there, you can check out our archive of podcasts and documentaries about education. We'd love to hear what kinds of thoughts and questions this podcast and our other work bring up for you. Contact information is at our website, apmreports.org. Or you can write us a review on iTunes. That'll help other people find this podcast. We're on Facebook at APM Reports and on Twitter, where our handle is at Educate all one word. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation, the Spencer Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. We'd like to take a moment to tell you about another new podcast, Historically Black. APM Reports has teamed up with the Washington Post to mark the opening of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture. The Post invited people across the country to submit photos of objects that connect them personally to Black history. Each week, Historically Black spotlights one object and the stories behind it, like the recording of a great-great-grandfather on the fiddle. And so the first time I remember sitting in my room and I pressed play and I felt like I was hearing and seeing a ghost. Subscribe to Historically Black